It came to a boiling point one summer afternoon. Just as I was pulling my car into our driveway, I saw my young son hurling his bike to the ground, his face red and tearful. As if I couldn't already read it in my wife's face, she spelled it out for me. You're his dad. You teach him to ride. Caleb's bike lay at odd angles, dominating the scene like a talisman of failure. Buddy, come over here. My mind was racing. I shot up a silent prayer that I'd be fully present for my son, that I'd know what to say. And then suddenly, miraculously, I knew just how to approach his instruction. Caleb, I'll teach you to ride your bike, no problem. I was curious to hear where I was heading with all this. It will take five days. Five? Where in the world did I get five? Each day, we'll have one lesson and we'll practice together. By the weekend, you'll be the Jedi master of the two-wheeled set. Now the poetry was flowing. Does that sound good? He nodded, wiped the tears from his eyes. Okay, Dad. The boy was game. Each training took 20 minutes, simple and intuitive. Lesson one, no fear. Your dad has you. Lesson two, balance, how you pedal. Lesson three, steering, where you look, you go. Lesson four, braking, how to slow and when to stop. Lesson five, starting from a standstill, often after a fall. By the end of five days, Caleb was in fact riding around like a Yoda on wheels, having an absolute blast, going from frustration to freedom. He was now living all the adventure of a bike riding master. He overcame. Since this experience, I've realized the five lessons aren't only for riding a bike. They're for conquering any challenge, for living full life. How about you? Is there a new paradigm for living that intrigues you? A career change that's calling? A language you want to learn? A service trip you've been dreaming about? Art that must be created? A difference you're longing to make? So, where do you start? Start here. Start with these lessons. Learn to ride a bike and realize it is God himself propelling you forward. Well, good morning. My name's Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I'd love to have you grab your notes out of your handout. We're jumping into a new series called The Ride of Your Life. And that video ended with the phrase, realize it is God himself who is propelling you forward. Friends, we have such a a kind and gracious and loving God, and he is inviting us into the fullness of life. And, And there's so much that he has in store for us. I want to start with this verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. The the word I would have you circle is the word remember. And the reason why this verse is in the Bible and the reason why I'm having you circle the word remember is because we so often fail to remember. We, We forget that God is with us. We forget that the Lord is right by our side, and because of that reality, we get nervous, we get frustrated, we get anxious, we get hesitant, but that's not the life that God invites us to live. In fact, just following that on your outline, I put the words of Jesus, because the invitation that Jesus offers is found in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. 
more abundantly. And, and the challenge then, and, and what we're going to go after in this series, is that there is a more abundant paradigm available for you and for me. That there is, there is more that Jesus has for us. There's greater life. There's, there, there's a richer life, a more abundant life that Jesus is inviting us into. And the metaphor that I'm using is teaching my son, Caleb, to ride a bike. I do want to let you know that this happened many years ago. My son Caleb is actually in junior high now, and, and this happened when he was five years old. So, so please don't talk to my son Caleb about riding a bike, okay? Uh, I, I will share with you family stories if you will promise not to talk to my family about them, okay? And, uh, and that's just the paradigm, that the metaphor, rather, for this invitation that we have from Jesus into abundance, and just as we begin this whole process, let me ask by show of hands, how many of you in the room are parents? How many of you have kiddos? Okay. All right. Now, same question probably to, to you. How many of you have taught your children to ride a bike? Raise your hand. Yeah, so this is not an uncommon reality for parents. This is not some kind of strange. And by the way, my oldest child, my daughter Alex, when she was trying to learn how to ride her bike, my wife Jody and I, we just did our best scattergun kind of effort about, oh, remember this and do this and try this. And, and somehow she figured it out with a few falls and a few tears, and then she was off and rolling. It's kind of how it happens most of the time. Uh, my son Doozy, my youngest son, after we uh, collected him from South Africa and, and he was in our home, um, I put him on a bike. And I, I began to teach him these five lessons, and, and instead, he just started pedaling and learned in about 12 seconds. So he was just off and rolling. And that happens sometimes, too. So I'm not saying that you have to use these five lessons every time you're trying to teach a kid to ride a bike. I, I will let you know, however, my middle son, Caleb, he was a little bit different. My wife Jody had been trying to teach him for a little while and she'd been coaching him and, and try, hey, remember this and try this and don't forget this. And he was just overwhelmed. He was just completely flooded with the amount of things to keep in mind simultaneously. And so he got frustrated. And when he got frustrated, he took out his frustration on his mom. And because he took out his frustration on his mom, I had the privilege of teaching him to ride a bike. That's where these lessons come from. So I, I do just want you to see that the first lesson, it, it comes at the beginning for a reason, intuitively, user-friendly. It starts with the first lesson first, and the first lesson is no fear. No fear. We have to learn this lesson of not being afraid, of not allowing our fears to limit our lives. And here's a great quote from Emerson. When a resolute young fellow steps up to the great bully, the world, and takes him boldly by the beard, he is often surprised to find it comes off in his hand, and then it was only tied on to scare away the timid adventurers. So often our fear prevents us from engaging into the adventure that God calls us into, and yet it's really not much substance at all. So the question, how do we begin? The first fill-in, believe that your Father is supporting you. Believe that your Heavenly Father is supporting you. And if, and if you don't like the word support, there are other words you could use. Stabilizing, guiding, protecting, carrying, holding. Right? These are all things that the Bible talks about God being with us, providing for us. 
And when it came to Caleb, I had him run inside and kind of wash the tears off of his face and get a snack. And then when he was ready to come on out, and I said, buddy, I... Are you ready to begin this adventure of riding a bike? And, and he said, yeah, I, I guess so. And I go, well, bud, the first lesson is no fear. You have to banish fear from your heart. You have to just stomp it out. You cannot be afraid of this thing that we're going to get on. I said, you've got to be as brave as Aslan with this adventure. Are you ready for that? He's like, yeah, okay. But dad, what if I fall? And so I said, well, you might fall at some point. So Caleb, come on down here. And I, I kneeled down onto the grass, and, and in our front yard, I said, I want you to feel this grass. You see, it, it's, it's soft and it's springy, and, and so if you do happen to fall, it, it's not going to hurt you at all. And I said, but Caleb, here, here's the point. The first lesson you need to learn is no fear. So today, I promise you, you don't have anything to be afraid of, because I'm going to hold the seat of your bike the entire time. All you have to do is just get on and go because I am going to make sure that you don't fall. Does that sound good? And he brightened up. He said, okay, Dad. And so that's how it went. He hopped on his bike, started pedaling. I'm holding the seat the whole time, running around with him. I'm saying, hey, buddy, what's lesson number one? And he's like, no fear. And I go, that's right. How come you don't have anything to fear? And he's like, because you're holding my seat. And I go, yeah, that's right. Your dad has you. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, jeez, I got to get in shape. Yeah. <laughs> And that was lesson number one, 20 minutes. We parked the bike. He goes inside, mom, mom, lesson number one, no fear. I'm a champion, you know. But I want you to see that God's plan for us is that we realize that he is never going to leave us or forsake us, that God is always with us, holding us, supporting us, even helping. If you want to think about that word, God is helping us. Look at this verse, Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to him, to God, for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. So this is where the adventure begins. We have to begin by trusting that God has us, that God is with us, that God is helping us, and he's never going to let us go. Isaiah 41.10 says, uh, this is the Lord speaking, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What does the word uphold mean? It means hold up. God is holding us up. God is supporting us. He's carrying us as we go through this fallen world. So I wanna challenge you, friends, to memorize these verses, to meditate on these verses, and just really just soak in the truth that our Father is supporting, strengthening, carrying us, that he is bringing us peace as we go through this journey. The next fill-in is understand the devastation of our fear. Understand the devastation of our fear. In other words, realize the damage that fear does to us. It assaults our identity as beloved children of our Heavenly Father. It, it wreaks havoc upon our potential. It comes against our relationships. Fear attacks the full life that God has for us. And living in fear is a kind of death which is why it is so powerful to step through our fear. 
Because when we step through our fear, we're leaving death behind and we're moving into a more full life. And so the question I would have for you is, what are you afraid of? When we first started talking about this with my creative team, one of, a couple of the questions came up. Well, do people really identify with fear? Like, like I'm sure there are a bunch of people who are like, oh, I'm not afraid of anything. So just kind of think for a second. Well, where is it that you get anxious or nervous? Where are your insecurities? Where is it where you look at the world and the headlines in the world and suddenly fear starts to creep in? Or maybe even just make it more personal. Maybe it's having an honest conversation with your spouse. Maybe it's just admitting that you have a problem with eating or with alcohol or with pornography. Uh, Maybe for you, you've had a dream in your heart stirring for years and years, but you are afraid to take the first step toward it because you know failure could be an option. And so that dream remains a dream because fear is limiting you. So I, I want you to understand that, that all of us fall into this category somewhere, wrestling with some sort of fear. And what we need to realize is how limiting that fear is on our lives. I heard about a fascinating research study that was done uh, on this program called This American Life, and it, it was really interesting because the idea was to discover how imagination plays such a motivating role in our lives. And so it was a very simple kind of, a, of an experiment set up. There was one person who was doing the experiment, and one by one, a, a grade school-aged child would come into a, a sterile room. And the person doing the experiment would begin to talk to the child and would say, now, you know the power of your imagination, right? That you can picture things in your mind, you can think about things in your mind, but you do know that when you think about that thing, it doesn't become real, right? Your imagination isn't magic. And the the children, one by one, they would all say, yes, yes, that's true. And so there was a box on a table. And the person doing the experiment would open the box and say, now I want you to see that the box is empty, right? There's nothing in the box. And the child would say, yes, I see that. And then the instructor would say, now I want you to imagine that this box is filled with cookies. I want you to right now in your mind picture those cookies. What do they look like? What kind of cookies are they? Do they have chocolate chips? Do they have frosting? How many cookies are in here? Are they delicious? And the the child would answer all these questions using their imagination. And then the instructor would say, oh, you know, I have to step out of the room for a moment. They would step out of the room and the child was left in the room with a closed box on a table. Now, there were other children that were brought in as well, same kind of experiment, but instead of imagining cookies, they were asked to imagine that the box was filled with snakes. How many snakes are in the box? What kind of snakes? What color are they? Are they like kind of writhing around? Um, Are they poisonous snakes? How scary are they? And then again, the instructor would look, oh, I've got to step out for a moment and leave the room. Meanwhile, there's a camera on the child. Do you want to know this? That Every single child who imagined that the box was filled with snakes, when left alone, moved as far from the box as they possibly could in that room. Conversely, every child 
who imagined that the box was filled with cookies, crept over to the box and opened the box just to see if they had made the cookies appear. And do you know what was in the box? Snakes with Ebola and Black Plague, and it just killed all the kids. No, of course not. Nothing to fear, right? But I want you to see the power of imagination. Imagination propels us forward. Fear demotivates us and causes us to shrink back. And that's why we are commanded in Scripture again and again and again, don't be afraid. I read a statistic this week in an article that said 85% of the things that we worry about never, ever happen. And the article went on to say that when people who worry are confronted with that reality, two things happen. The first thing they do is they think to themselves, well, my worry must be doing something right if 85% of the stuff never happens. Or they do the second thing and they realize, you know what, 15% of the stuff does happen. I'm worrying about the wrong things. And they begin to worry about other things. But I want you to understand that Jesus commands us not to worry. He says to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Believe that your father is supporting you. Believe that your fear is devastating to you. In the Old Testament, the Israelites spent a generation wandering in the wilderness, and it was time for them to enter into the promised land. Joshua was the leader of the nation of Israel, this homeless nation, and, and Moses had just passed away, and yet Joshua was afraid to step into the mantle of leadership. He was afraid to take this risk and to lead the nation into the promised land. And so in Joshua chapter one, we see God communicating directly to Joshua's heart. He says, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. You might want to underline this phrase. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, friends, what I would love to challenge you to do this week is read that passage of Scripture from God's heart, but read it to your heart. Read it as God speaking directly to you. These are his words over you, that God is saying, I am with you. God is saying, I will not abandon you. I will not fail you. You are the one that I've chosen. Obey the Lord, study the book, meditate on God's truth. You will prosper and succeed and then understand his command as Joshua understood his command, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Next fill in. Realize our fears have a source. All of us have fears, and our fears have a source, but just understand that source is not our Heavenly Father. 
So the scripture says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. I'd love to have you circle the word not. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You know, if you have just a survey view of the scriptures, there are many times when God or the angels of the Lord show up and they interact with humans. And it is so interesting to me that in every single example, when even the least impressive messenger of Most High God shows up, mere mortals end up on their face in the dirt wishing they had worn their depends that day. And the reason is because we can't handle being in the presence of those who stand in the presence of Most High God. The full weight of our sin and our broken humanity, how far short we really fall, suddenly it's all illuminated when we stand in the presence of perfection. And God knows this. And so he's instructed his angels to begin every interaction with the words, don't be afraid. Fear not. That's heaven's standing policy. God knows fear is our first response, so assurance is his first response. The second reason that God does this is because he knows that when fear grips us, it keeps us in bondage. It prevents us from seeing a larger picture. God wants us to see what he sees. And fear prevents us from trusting that God will be God. Fear is what keeps us in chains so that we don't behave or act or think in such a way that we walk in faith. Instead, we choose to walk in fear. So let me tell you, fear comes from somewhere. If you're filling in the blanks, the first place that fear comes from is our limitations. We know that we are finite. We have a finite amount of strength. We have a finite amount of energy, a finite amount of intellect. We know we are limited, and fear comes when we feel like we are pressing against the boundaries of our own limitations. The second place that fear comes from, fear comes from our enemy. And it doesn't help that we have an enemy, the enemy of God is also the enemy of the people of God, who loves to assault our identity as God's dearly loved children. He uses our fears as a weapon that beats against us many times every single day with a quiet whisper from hell that says, admit it, you can't do that. Admit it. You'll fail if you try that. Admit it, you'll never get out of this cycle. Admit it, you've tried and failed so many times, you might as well give up. You know, our enemy also loves to make us compare ourselves to other people. Oh, you're, you can't be a Christian leader. Look at you, you still struggle with this and this. How can you lead a church? You still have these limitations of faith. How can you be a husband when you are like, you know, look at that guy. He's a real husband. How about, you know, how can you be a wife? Look at her. She's a, a real wife. Look at you, what you struggle with. And you could kind of fill in the blank. It's this whisper of hell that comes again and again and again, assaulting us with what? Our own fears. And every time you hear that quiet whisper, I want you to say it's a lie because it is. Our enemy is the father of lies. He's assaulting us with our fears, but it's, it's a lie, and it's not God's heart for us. And the next fill-in is that fear comes from our wounds. It comes from our wounds. Some of our fears learn behavior because we've injured 
ourselves, maybe other people have injured us, and, and so because we've taken hurt, we've got these wounds, suddenly we build fears around them. And some of that can be healthy. For example, if you're a toddler, you touch a hot stove, you learn a healthy fear not to touch a hot stove again. But others of us, we touch a hot stove and our fear teaches us to never enter the kitchen. And so we've got to go to the Lord and say, God, how much of this is healthy self-protection and how much of this is just limitation, devastation, preventing me from the abundant life that you're calling me into? So it comes from somewhere, limitations, our enemy, our, our wounds, but it never comes from our Father. And, and the scripture says this, the reason why we're still living in fear is because we haven't appropriated his perfect love to us. The Bible says that his perfect love drives away fear. The scripture in 1 John 4:18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. You know, somewhere in your notes, I want you to write this phrase, I am loved perfectly. I am loved perfectly. And so we, we realize these things, right? We begin with this understanding that God is with us, that he is supporting us, helping us. We realize the devastation of our fear. We understand that it has a source, but that source is not our Father. Our Father's the source of perfect love driving out fear. The next fill-in is that fear begets regrets. It, it, it causes us to regret and lament that we have lived in fear. And it's because we're afraid or nervous or anxious or worried or insecure that we don't step across the line. We don't call the girl. We don't invest in the opportunity disguised as a risk. We don't carve out time with our children. We don't prize our marriage. And the end of all of those stories is regret. My dad always used to tell me growing up that we will regret the things that we do not try far more than the things that we attempt and fail. And the next fill-in is, is there honestly anything to fear? Is there honestly anything to fear? You know, speaking of my dad, my, my dad um, was a career Marine. He was one of those barrel-chested, dismember you five ways with a paperclip kind of a guy. And uh, he's a bit older now, so that barrel has descended just a little bit from his chest. Uh, great guy. I love him a lot. He was here in the first service, so we had some fun uh, in this part of the message. But I, I do want you to know that he was shipped out a lot when I was growing up on assignment. But when he was in town, he would get home in the late afternoon, and I, we would often wrestle or play catch or have fun together. So it was a, a time when I looked forward to. And one day, uh, it was late afternoon, and I was waiting for my dad because I wanted to play hide-and-seek with him. I had found the, the world's most perfect hiding place in our garage. I just want you to understand, growing up, my garage looked like an M.C. Escher painting of a junkyard inside an antique store inside a junkyard. It was just covered, everything, just stacks and piles of furniture, love seats, you know, John Denver vinyls, you know, hanging bikes, tools everywhere. And I had found this cupboard against a far wall that was empty. 
And I knew that if I hid in that cupboard, it would take him forever to find me, right? So I was excited about this hide-and-seek game. I hear his car pull in the driveway. He comes in the front door, and from the garage, I yell, hey, Dad, I'm in the garage. Come and find me. And I shut the door. I jump over the love seat. I climb inside the cupboard. I slide the cupboard door shut, and I wait. I hear the garage door open and close, and the light has gone out. And I realized that my father, he looked in the garage, maybe he didn't hear me clearly, he just looks in, doesn't see anybody, turns off the light and leaves. Now I am in a terrifying black hole. And I thought, surely he's going to come find me. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait. Twelve seconds later, I was done waiting. And so I, I slide open the cupboard door, and I, I lean my feet out. I haven't made a noise. I'm not even breathing, but someone else is. <laughs> Across the garage, I can hear this soft, muted breathing. Someone else is in the garage with me. Now, this is way back in the day in Southern California, a man affectionately known as the Night Stalker was terrorizing many villages in Southern California. Village, there are no villages in Southern California. <laughs> So, so the Night Stalker had even visited my town, Mission Viejo, earlier in the summer, and it caused my brother and my sister and I to all sleep in the same bedroom at night. We thought that would keep us safer for a serial killer. That's like a jackpot, right? Like, oh, look, they're all here. So the Night Stalker is in my garage. Why did my dad shut the door, turn the light off, leaving me to die at the hands of a serial killer? Like, I am so terrified in this moment. I realize I've got to save myself, and my only salvation is the, the tiny slit of light coming from under the garage door. And so I take a deep breath, and I leap, and I jump over the love seat. I scatter the John Denver vinyls. I bark my head against a hanging bike. My, my shin hits a toolbox. I jump for all I'm worth towards the door. I open it up. Warm light floods my body. I turn back towards the dark garage when, boom! My dad jumps out of the garage. I wet myself. <laughs> Years of therapy. There's this quote that I know you're familiar with. It's, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, by Roosevelt. Apparently, Roosevelt didn't have a dad in the military who terrified him in a dark garage. Sometimes there is something to fear. Sometimes the thing you dread actually does happen. Sometimes even the worst of things impossibly happens to us in this fallen world. And even then, even when that happens, you and I find God is with us every step of the way. In fact, I would challenge you that the only positive thing fear provides is it causes us to cling even more to our Heavenly Father who loves us so much. And the reason why Caleb didn't need to be afraid when he was learning to ride is that I had him. I was holding him. And the reason why you don't need to be afraid 
is because God has you. God is holding you. The Lord loves you. He's crafted the entire universe, and he is with you, never to forsake you, never to abandon you. Psalm 121, verse 5 and following. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. And I have seen these verses true. I've seen them played out again and again and again over the entire course of my life, over 23 years of ministry, over so many, over like, uh, in, in you, you know, as I know your story and I, I hear what's happening in your life, I see this played out, that the Lord is with you. The scripture promises this and our experience backs this up. And so the question that I have for you is, where is it that fear has a hold of you? You see, if we don't learn the first lesson, we'll never get on the bike. If you don't learn this first lesson, you'll never continue the journey. Like the entire thing hinges upon us stepping through our fear. So where is it for you? Where is it that you're being held down in bondage? You're listening to the lie of the enemy. You know, Caleb, before we began our lessons, he was so frustrated. He could not learn to ride his bike. His buddies were learning. It was just, there was some angst in his life. And and one night he was kind of complaining about it. He said, Dad, it's impossible. I'll never learn to ride a bike. I said, oh, buddy, it's not impossible. Oh, yeah, Dad, it's impossible. I'll never, it cannot be done. It's humanly impossible. I said, Caleb, listen, look, I know you're frustrated, but it is not impossible. How do you know? Well, first off, I, I, I know how to ride a bike. Secondly, I know you, and, and, and you are athletic, and you're coordinated, and you're strong. You, you're going to figure this out right away. I said, and the third reason I know it's not impossible, everyone who ever commits to learning how to ride a bike figures it out eventually. I said, you think it's impossible, but I'm not, I'm not pretending I know your future. I'm telling you, you will ride this bike. And I didn't offer it as just blowing sunshine, and I wasn't offering it as some kind of pressure over him. I was speaking to him prophetically as a fact. What he thought was currently daunting and impossible, I knew was inevitable for his future. Now, I want you to picture the thing that you're afraid of, that you say to God, God, this is impossible. God, there's no way I could live that free. There's no way I could have that character. There's no way I could be that honest. There's no way I could take that risk. It's impossible. And I want you to hear God say to you, it's not. I'm with you. I am holding you every step of the way. So friends, what do we do? We, we, we come to the throne of grace. And in Hebrews 4.16, it says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Boldly. Why boldly? Because we have to step through fear. We come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace 
to help us when we need it the most. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, there are places in all of our lives where we need your help. We need your mercy. We need your grace. And right now, Lord Jesus, we just, we're just telling you, we need your help. So would you allow us to experience your presence right now? Would you allow us to realize, Father, that you are with us, holding us, supporting us, guiding us every step of the way? We, we recognize that fear limits us, and so, Lord, what we, what we ask is that you would provide us courage this week that we would step through our fear, that we would take the first step in living the more abundant life, the, the richer life, the fuller life that, Jesus, you invite us into. We just confess we need your help today, Lord Jesus. Please hear our prayer. Meet us and help us by giving us your courage and strength this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.